This is an ABC podcast. Okay, so this is a very special episode for me and I think it will be for you too because Esther Perel is one of the most incredible psychotherapists in the world. She's the leading voice on, I guess, just changing the way we think about infidelity. You've probably seen her TED Talk, Rethinking Infidelity, a talk for anyone who has ever loved. It's got over 21 million views. She's also written best-selling books like Mating in Captivity, Unlocking Erotic Intelligence, and she changes lives through her podcast, Where Should We Begin?, where she basically just helps couples and singles navigate sex, love, dating, and relationships. She just has this really unique, how would I describe it, like non-judgmental and empathetic way of looking at situations and people. And and I guess just makes you realize that things are never really that black and white. Humans are so complex and we're layered and she just holds a whole lot of space for love. Also, she's very, very strong at the same time, very passionate. Like she'll tell you exactly how it is. Um, in this chat you're about to hear with Esther, I low-key was like, okay, I need to reevaluate my whole life because, yeah, she did not hold back. She was so honest about the way that young people are dating, the way that we use dating apps, the way that we're a bit scared to commit, uh, how we get the ick so easily and are just looking for that perfect person. But she also spoke about how there is a lot of positives and beauty in the way that we are navigating relationships compared to previous generations. It was such an incredible chat, honestly, a career highlight for me. So uh, I hope you love it too. Thank you so much for jumping on the hookup to chat to me today. It's a pleasure to be here. Okay, so if you're not aware, The Hookup is a sex, love, dating and relationships podcast and radio show that specifically talks to young people. I would love to know um, from all the work that you do and the research that you do, what are your main concerns for young people today in the way that we do navigate love, sex, dating and relationships? Okay, I'm going to break them apart a little bit because I may not have the same answer for relationships as I have for sex, as I have for love, right? So when it comes to love, the main thing that you will notice among young people these days is that there's very many, way too many people who have no exposure to experimenting with love. You know, starting at 14, 15, to have a multiplicity of love relationships, of falling for someone, of ending, of questioning, of coming back, of, of practicing all the ins and outs of the experiences related to love. When it comes to relationships, it's about friendships primarily and family relationships and how to establish real friendships that are enduring and that are really happening often face-to-face so that people really learn what it's like to be there for your friend and not just to send a little emoji and just say thinking of you. I remember one of my young people, you know, once said, I felt so good today because people actually send me messages on text for my birthday. And I said, did they call you? You know, no, they didn't call it, but it was already better than just being on, on social. And I'm thinking, my God, that's not enough. It's your birthday. People should call, people should leave voice messages, and people should actually organize something for you 
all the way. You know, we need to train people to really know that relationships are active engagements, friendships, for example. And when it comes to sex, what it stands out the most for me is that in my time, when you were not practiced, when you didn't have much experience, you could say, I'm ignorant because I have no experience. But today, I find that there's people with a lot of experience who are still ignorant. And that means that having a lot of sex of whatever variety of the sex people have doesn't mean that people know, that they know themselves, that they have had decent education that isn't just all primarily rooted in porn and that they know what they like or that they know how to communicate about their likes or how to discover it, et cetera, et cetera. So I find that often people do a lot and don't enjoy that much and do a lot and know way too little to be able to enjoy more. What do you think of what I'm saying, by the way? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And that's, I think that, especially with the stuff you were saying around sex, I think that most people are brought up, especially being online, seeing porn and thinking that they know what they're doing. And then just going into the bedroom and doing those things without actually having a conversation with that person. So there's definitely the conversation part missing. And I think this this real idea of people thinking that they know how sex works. And like we all know, it's completely different for each person. I think now more than ever, everyone's using dating apps there's more people on dating apps than ever before and I would love to hear your thoughts about how you think dating apps have impact or shaped the way that we enter into relationships well the first thing that I think has to be established is that dating apps has given many people particularly people who were in search of communities of people that share their identity and their like-mindedness access in ways that was unprecedented so if you are in a small town or if you are far from other people like you, the dating app brings you into proximity with people you would never have met, and that is fantastic. Now, there is the data about dating apps, and then there is the experience of people who are on dating apps. And I have to say, I go around the world and I ask every young person I meet, or every person for that matter, who's on an app, and I'm saying, what's it like? And I'm still hoping to find people who will tell me it's been wonderful. Now, that doesn't mean some people haven't met their partners online and the vast majority of people today do meet their partners online. But the experience itself for way too many people sucks. It's not fun. And that is too bad. I'm thinking at, at 18, 19, 25, it's about trying out things, having multiple experiences. None of them are going to be the person you probably are going to stay with. There are going to be a lot of love stories, but not life stories. And this is not cutting it. So then there is the experience of what is it we're trying to do on the app, right? I mean, when people describe to me, I'm sitting in a bar, but instead of talking to the people that are sitting next to me, I'm looking into my phone because these days when you just approach someone and you start talking to them, it looks weird. I'm thinking that is a real sad case of social atrophy. And then when people get off the app and they meet, way too much of the time, the meeting and the first date is a kind of a job interview, which is totally boring. It's like product evaluation. You know, that leaves people feeling really not very good. You know, do I cut it? Do I meet the, the bar? You know, am I, 
come on, where's the imagination? Where is the serendipity? Where is the happenstance? Where is the improvisation, the spontaneity, the unknown? That's so much of what relationships used to be and no algorithm can match that. So I think there is good and I think we should be much more active into adding all the other goods that human beings have a long history and tradition from music to poetry, to cooking, to adventuresomeness that is not translated on the app. I think as well, a big feeling is that people feel disposable. I think that dating apps has kind of created this culture where we can swipe and find the next yes. best person yes. if yes. someone doesn't yes. cut it. And a thousand finger of people at my fingertip and I'm just swiping back and forth all the time, hoping that something is going to suddenly give me a kind of a twinge in my stomach out of nowhere for on the basis of what? Everything, you constantly evaluate it. Mm. Because, you know, did you catch the attention? There's a woman who wrote to me a text a couple of weeks back saying I went on a first date with someone and he asked me if I wanted to come up and play your game where should we begin and I thought just the fact that he even invited me to come and play the game told me that you know that's going to be a different kind of date and I just thought okay if my game is able to enter into the dating scene and make people have different conversations that where do you do and where do you live and you know where are you from I would love it. I would love to become, you know, the provocation for the dates through the different kinds of questions that the card gave me invites because people too often come back. And I mean, it's that sound of, of frustration, of deflation on something that should be really lived in a very different tone of colors. I think everything that you're talking about really shows that you're giving that person the time of day, you're actually generally interested in giving them space to get to know them. Uh, something a, a lot of young people do, it's become a real huge phenomenon, I'm sure you've heard of it, is catch the ick. So uh, basically, people might see someone do something that's kind of cringe, or maybe they wear the wrong shoes, or they say something and it's embarrassing. They catch this thing called the ick. And it seems to become so much more prevalent than ever. Cancel culture at its peak. Right. What is what is going on here in your experience for all of the years that you've been doing the work? What is happening here and why has it become such a huge thing for young people? It's a real crisis of the imagination. And it is a kind of, you know, I want things to be just right and just perfect. I order my Uber Eats and I want uh, and I give all the precisions and all the specifications and I order my Starbucks and I give all the specifications and now I'm treating people the same way just a little bit of latte the right kind of color the right kind of milk the right kind of this and anything else is ick Ugh. I think it's really sad to put it like this because it is completely devoid of imagination I mean dating is a plot Dating is building a plot. It's weaving a story. If you're just looking at data, little items that turn you off, you are completely frozen in creating a story. You will have a long story of people that you've had the ick factor with, but that's not a story. That's rather miserable. So I don't know how one cuts the curb you bring up something else and maybe somebody's going to come in and say, instead of coming and looking for the one thing that turns you off, 
how about you actually come in and you say the one thing that I decided I would actually give the other person a chance or I would give myself the chance because but it's not just what you do to the other the other is doing the same thing to you and you end up looking at yourself through the same lens and that brings a lot of people to therapy and then we can talk about the crisis of anxiety and then we can talk about the crisis of mental health it makes people anxious when you constantly, constantly are making sure that you have passed the last test and you're only as good as your last performance all the time. And you can never actually rest and settle and let your nervous system relax and say, I'm okay. You know, it's like cancel culture becomes internalized too. You cancel yourself every time you haven't done the right thing, every time you haven't succeeded, every time you've said the wrong word, you know, and you slash yourself. That is a terrible way to experience. That creates anxiety and dread and constant self-criticism. And that leads to depression or anger or acting out. And that leads to a, miser a miserable mental health crisis. These things are interconnected. The mental health crisis is not just something that exists inside the belly of individuals. It's socially created too and supported. It's true. And you, speaking of it's inside of you, you see people just feel like they're walking on eggshells because they're like, oh, if I do that or say that thing in front of that person, then they might get the ick and they might run away from me. Uh, right. Something that you talk a lot about, Esther, is people nowadays want that partner to be everything to them and to, like you said, complete a checklist and be everything, this thing, this thing, this thing, this thing. For anyone who's never heard you talk about this before, what do we need to think about when it comes to how we see that other person in a relationship and dating and, and this idea that they have to be absolutely everything? This, they have to be everything is directly connected to the fact that they have to be perfect, that they have passed the test of the ick. So you can see the, the, the expectation keeps going up and up and up. You know, so when I finally meet you, the one and only, the one that is going to make me delete my app, the one for which I'm going to, you know, step out of my state of stable ambiguity, with whom I have just enough com com connection, but not too much commitment. And we are in our situationships for years on end. You know, of course, the expectation then is you are perfect. You have passed every hurdle and every test. And that, by the way, is what sets people up for terrible crisis the first time one of them does something that wasn't what I expected. Come completely unprepared for the imperfections of life. I have a question to you on this. I wonder sometimes to what extent to younger people today or Gen Z today, and I have, you know, I have a couple of sons of that very generation want this kind of perfection because there is so few other things that they can control in the world. With climate crisis being the way it is, the economy going in the direction it's going, pandemics, you know, stopping you in your track at any moment, you know, jobs that are basically no longer having to do with the culture of a job because you're sitting there all alone at home with your screen. Has be relationships become the one territory where I can actually control things and shape it to my liking in a world where I shape so few things. That's the thing I keep asking myself is where does this perfection in love come from if it's not about the fact that the world is imperfect and in, in so many other areas, we seem to be powerless to do something. 
I think it's like you mentioned before, it sometimes circles back to yourself because if there's all this external pressure to be perfect or, or, or things going wrong and you want to have a sense of control, that then is a reflection of maybe not being perfect yourself. So therefore, if you end things with someone before they get too close and realize that you're not perfect, that's a con- sense of control that you have. I think that there's a real sense of the people that I speak to and even in my friendship groups of a fear of commitment, a fear of getting too close, a fear of having to show up as your whole true self because that's something you don't have control over maybe. You know, confidence, one of the beautiful definitions I heard about that is your ability to see yourself as a flawed person and still hold yourself in high regard. Confidence is not about being flawless. Perfection is the ability to see yourself as imperfect and still like yourself. I think that'll resonate with a lot of people. I think that, yeah, the people, the conversations I've had and the people I've spoken to, I think there is that real sense of just low self-esteem, I think, especially for young people, there's so much comparison. And, and I know that we could, we have not much time and we could talk about this for a long time, but just that sense on social media of constantly seeing other people doing better and looking better and, and that real low self-worth, I think is inherent for a lot of young people at the moment. And like you said, ties into the mental health crisis. Yeah, because um, we are constantly in a state of self-evaluation in a way that has never existed. I think I, if I could give something, it would be free people from that. It's become like literally product comparison. And I wish you would all stand up and basically mount an insurrection to this very crippling, often suicidal leading way of having to be in the world. It is utterly unfair and devastating. The self-evaluation you mentioned, Esther, um, I think that something that young people do really well is is that in a sense that we are thinking about ways to be better and learning. I think we have a language around relationships and things like attachment theory and, and going to therapy and, and seeking to better ourselves and really trying to learn um, as we enter into relationships. I would love to know your perspective of, of what you think young people are doing well when it comes to love and relationships. Oh, I think you're doing lots of things. It's a beautiful question. You're doing many things well. Um, One is to question archaic institutions that no longer meet the needs of our life today. One is to explore all kinds of new relationship agreements. One is to step out of a binary system of male-female and to really think along more fluid lines. At the same time that there is a reluctance to defining things, (laughs) you know, which I think at some point, there's something very beautiful in holding off definitions. And then there's a need at some point to call things by their name or people get lost. We need names, frames and boundaries or we can't stand. You know, so it's it's a matter often of degree. Um, I think what what people do well is create communities of support of all sorts for people who, for a long, you know, two generations before, were still often really isolated and alone. So the focus on inclusiveness, the acknowledgement of diversity, the focus on equality. I mean, all these things are driven 
by young people. I would say for me, this is less about love, but I act in the romantic sense, but I think it's, if in the United States, and I'm gonna add this because of where I am living, where we don't have gun control and where gun violence has become the primary cause of death for children and teenagers and young adults, it is only going to be Gen Z who's gonna, and younger people that come afterwards who are gonna make that change possible. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for them to gain more power so that because the, there is not a person, you know, half the people have experienced or know somebody who has experienced gun violence. And that demands coming together as a community, sharing the love, you know, and, and, and demanding to live in a world that is safe. To me, that's the big battle, at least on my territory. No, I think that when it comes to maybe not guns, but a similar sentiment with violence and just, you know, gender roles and, and politics, it's definitely here in Australia as well. Young people feel the exact same, especially in Melbourne. There's protests all the time. Um, yeah. I've got one more question, Esther, if that's okay. Um, I would love to know, what is the one thing that we are fixated on getting in a relationship that you don't think matters? And then on the other side of that, what is the one thing that does matter that none of us are really paying attention to? What is the thing that we are focusing on wrongly? Yeah. Uh, but different people focus on different things. For some people, it's I need you to like what I like. For some people, it's we need to go to the party together and we need to leave the party together. We become one. For some people, it's I don't want to make any compromises because my integrity is more important and I need to hold on to my autonomy and I'm not enough making space to bring in another person into my orbit. So I don't think there's a one flat answer. The question I would ask is to everybody that question, what's the thing you've been focusing on with low return that maybe should make you ask, am I asking for the right thing? And then I would do the same thing in reverse. What's the thing that you have not been asking for? That actually, it's a, it's a card in the game as well. Something I have wanted and have not asked for. What is the thing that you haven't asked for? And why haven't you asked for it? And is it because you don't believe somebody would give it to you? Is it because you're not, you don't feel entitled to it? Is it, you know, what's the reluctance to actually ask for certain things? I think. One rule of thumb that I love for people to learn is that much more than the particular differences that two people experience, it is the way that people handle the difference that makes all the difference. So it's not particularly what kind of couple you will be, what kind of relationship contract, what type of monogamy agreement you're going to have. It's how you're getting along around the agreement that you've come up with. Does it work for both of you? And when it doesn't for one of you, how are you adapting? Or is one of you continuing to say, works for me, it should work for you. <laughs> or are you able to say, well, if it doesn't work for you, let's rethink it so that we can both find ourselves and each other in this relationship. 
I think that's one of the things I love the most about where do we begin, where with the couples you speak to a lot of the time, it's always like my partner needs to go to therapy, my partner, like fix my partner. And it's never a reflection of what what are you adding to the dynamic here or what are you adding to the problem and what can you think about in things that you could change and you could fix as well. And yeah, I feel like that kind of resonates with your answer there, Estelle. And There was a person this morning who told me that she wished yeah, that she had come to the talk yesterday here in, in Melbourne and that one of the things she realized is that she dumps a lot of stuff on her partner that doesn't really belong to him. And she said, and I bring a lot of stuff from my dad and I'm just, you know, and I'm, it's not really very nice the way I behave sometimes, et cetera, et cetera. And then I just said, have you ever told him just that, what you're telling me? I know that I do things to you that really are not nice and they don't really be belong to you. And it's not just because of what you do. It's actually things that I bring with you, with me, from my own history, with my own. Da- do you know what that would do to your dude if you actually said that to him? That would put your relationships 10 steps forward in a matter of minutes. And then I said, and if you don't want to tell it, write it. It's fine. You come from a generation that prefers writing than talking face to face, write it and then come back and tell me because I love when people actually do it. And then they come back and they say, I wrote the note. Actually, what I say is send me a text and just give me a check mark. So I know you did it. And if you want, add another sentence. And when people have done it, it's so liberating to take responsibility over your own baggage. Definitely. There's so many people that you've spoken to on um, your podcast that I'm still waiting for part two because I want to know the outcome of, you know, whether they wrote that letter or whether they brought their mum into the therapy session or they told that girl that they ended up breaking up with. That, yeah, there's... Did you hear the few that we've done that are part twos? We have four couples now where, that we brought part two. Three years later, where are they at? I think I heard the one that's in the latest episode, part two. Yes, so yeah. there's two of them. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's called Where Are They Now? Where That's are they now? Thing. I love yes. it. I love it. You do end up waiting. You're like, I just need to know how it went. And and because the advice is just, I think, so universal for so many people listening because they're like, I can relate to that. And and you kind of want to know the follow-up because you're like, I wonder if that would have the same yes, 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 of um, implications in my life. Um, Esther, I know we've gone a little bit over time. Thank you so much for your time. Thank Looking you. Looking forward to seeing you all. Bye. How amazing is she? I I wish you saw my face during this because I kind of felt like I was getting told off when she was talking about the ick. Um, I was low-key a little bit scared. But yeah, she's absolutely spot on and I think we needed to hear that. Uh, also, if you're just as obsessed with Esther as I am and you want to hear more from her, you can find her podcast in the show notes and head on over to her website as well where she has her relationship resources and books and card game. And if you're in Brisbane, she is doing a show Thursday night, so the 1st of December, and in Sydney, Saturday the 3rd of December as well. And if you have some thoughts, maybe you just need a bit of a debrief after listening to that, um, you know, the hard facts hit you a bit too, um, you can DM me on our Insta at Triple J The Hookup or, you know, like Esther Prell, if you have any podcast guests that you'd love to hear from, let us know. All right, I'll catch you next time. Bye.